welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts for today, Kat McKing. And I'm Aaron Schneider. Today we have Stacey Jensen, Assistant to Regulatory and Tribal Affairs from the Office of the Assistant Secretary of the Army Civil Works joining us here today. Stacey, thanks for being here. Hey, no problem. And no guarantees that I'm solving the world's toughest challenges. So <laughs> just starting that off. <laughs> well, it's maybe the starting point for the challenges. Um, you know, so obviously today's topic is a little more challenging, uh, a little technical in nature. And so I, I do want to, to commend all of our listeners that actually hit the play button on this one. But really, this is an important role within the core and, and really how the federal government does business. So Stacey's here to talk to us today. Um, about rulemaking, uh, the importance of that, and, and really that process. But before we get into those details, Stacey, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of like where you grew up, and then also how you got to your position uh, within the Secretary's office? Sure. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Do people care about who I am? Sure. <laughs> so, uh, Stacey Jensen, uh, I grew up in sunny Southern California, uh, went to school at UCLA, and actually started work as a student at the Corps in the Los Angeles district while I was in uh, grad school there at UCLA, and worked in the regulatory program, left the LA district for the New York district, um, where I worked for about seven years uh, as a section chief as well in the New York district um, in the regulatory program. After that, I went to Corps headquarters, again in regulatory, and worked on compliance and enforcement and jurisdiction primarily as my subject matter areas. And then from there, did some rulemaking while I was at headquarters in regulatory. And from there, went to work at the Office of the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works, the Assistant for Regulatory and Tribal Affairs. On a personal note, I have three kids. At one point, I was able to say I had three kids under the age of two. I have twins and then a younger son who's 15 months younger than they are, so busy at home. We're kind of like urban farmers. We've got about 35 chickens and a couple dogs, some acreage in Maryland. We enjoy spending time outside. There you go. Thank you, Stacey. So, yeah, so we appreciate you hearing a little bit about where you came from and how you got to where you are. And today we will be talking about rulemaking, which may be a little dry topic for our audience. We're hoping to make it a little interesting um, for those listeners as well. So, so Stacey, can you tell us what rulemaking is and why it exists? So you start out with the most interesting questions, right? So <laughs> we're going to lose them right now. No, stay tuned. Stay tuned. This gets better. So, yeah, although this isn't perceived as, like, the most exciting topic, I'm sure, for listeners, it is very, very important. And Aaron kind of, you know, opened with that. It's very important to how the government functions. But... It's also one of the top priorities of an administration, right? So one of the very first things that administration does uh, in an administration change is issue a regulatory freeze, which essentially puts a halt to all rulemaking actions that agencies do. And that's because, you know, the new administration wants to make sure that those rules uh, that are pending or even that were recently issued get reviewed to make sure that they're consistent with administration priorities, their policy actions, uh, policy goals and objectives moving forward. So, you know, although it may seem like a dry topic, it's actually one of the most important things to, to the administration as well as can be seen by actions they, they take immediately, including executive orders. Often when an administration change, some of the very first executive orders that are issued uh, relate to rulemaking efforts. So President Biden issued EO 13990 
in the first few days of office, right? And that was telling agencies to review all the rules that they'd issued in the previous four years to make sure that they align with the policy goals and objectives of his administration, including things like environmental justice and climate change and considering science and protecting the environment and so on. So agencies are taking it upon themselves to do that right now, to review all of those rules that they've issued in the, in the prior four, four years. And if they don't meet those policy intents and objectives, then they can take steps to uh, rescind rules or to modify. And we can walk through that as we talk about the rulemaking process. So in general, rulemaking is a process federal agencies use to promulgate rules. You'll hear that word promulgate essentially means to issue rules uh, that govern all sorts of things, right, that they have authority over. There is a very important act called the Administrative Procedure Act, and that governs the way in which all administrative agencies of the government propose and establish regulations. It also grants U.S. federal courts the oversight over all of those agency actions if they're promulgated under the APA process. So APA requires things like notice and comment for rulemaking, among some other requirements. It also introduces what's called an arbitrary and capricious standard, which is a very legal term. And I'll let, you know, if you ever want to do a podcast with counsel, again, you can ask them about that and what that means. I'm not going into that. <laughs> but it does establish the standard for legal review of agency rulemaking actions. So another key piece of rulemaking is Executive Order 12866, which is Regulatory Planning and Review, which was issued in 1993. And that provides a lot of context on how the rule process actually works. Uh, it actually defines regulation or rule. And I'm going to read it, which is very boring. I'm sorry. Essentially, it's an agency statement of general applicability and future effect, which the agency intends have the force and effect of law that's designed to implement, interpret, or prescribe law or policy, or to describe procedure or practice requirements of an agency. So there's quite a few key words in there that distinguishes what a rule is and really, really what distinguishes a rule from guidance. So there's a difference between a rule and a guidance document that agencies also issue. One of the key points is that a rule has the force and effect of law. So guidance does not, and guidance technically is not binding on agencies or the public. So there's a key distinction between a, a rule and a guidance document. Sometimes you'll hear the words, you know, rule and regulation used interchangeably, and often some agencies, like the Corps, issue things like engineer regulations, right? So it has that word regulation in it. Army does the same, Army regulation. But those actually don't go through the APA rulemaking process, even though they have that word regulation. you got to just make sure you're discussing which, which type of regulation are we talking about, the actual APA type of regulation under EO 12866, or is this more of, of a guidance document, even though it may have the word regulation in it? So agency regulations that do go through the APA process get published in the Code of Federal Regulations, or the CFR. The USAID CFR is primarily in 33 CFR for navigation and navigable waters, and it runs through parts 200 to 399. There are some other agency CFR regulations for the Corps that are not found in 33 CFR, 36 CFR, and some others, but primarily it's found in there. Another component of rulemaking is, is why is rulemaking initiated? So rulemaking is initiated for a variety of reasons, right? A lot of them come down to, say, statutory requirements. 
So there's a new law, right? There's a new statute, for example, WERDA provisions. So the WERDA may direct rulemaking to occur or certain WERDA provisions may require rulemaking in order to draft some sort of implementing policy. Uh, another result could be court decisions. So we get perhaps an unfavorable court decision that may direct us into to resulting in some sort of rulemaking action. Uh, and then other ones are based on policy decisions. So either administration priorities, new executive orders, all sorts of types of, of policy actions that the administration issues or other internal policy decisions by the ASA CW. And then also rulemaking, there's different kinds of rulemaking. So there's basically three buckets for rulemaking actions. There's a whole new rule, okay? It doesn't exist in the CFR before, the whole new subject. That is putting in a new regulation, a new rule into the CFR. There's also amending existing regulations. So there might be an existing regulation already on the book, but due to either court decision or a change in a statute or a new policy direction, we need to modify or amend that existing regulation. And the last one is, is removal. So perhaps, you know, the authority that that regulation was uh, issued under no longer exists or it was superseded by something else. So you may go in and basically it's kind of like cleaning up, right, the CFR, and you would remove that regulation from the CFR. So those are the three kind of big buckets of the different types of rulemaking actions. There's also different ways that rules can be issued. There's different pathways to take. Primarily rules go through a proposed rule to a final rule, um, and we'll talk about that about the next, about sort of the general process soon. There's also interim final rules and direct final rules. Those have less of the public comment process involved. And there's also interpretive rules. Uh, interpretive rules are issued after uh, an agency has issued a rule, and it offers sort of follow-on implementation guidance as to how agencies are actually applying that rule uh, in practice. That was a whole lot of words <laughs> about <laughs> rulemaking. For a seemingly simple question, it is uh, unfortunately not a seeming uh, simple topic, so. <laughs> no, thanks for that explanation. I, I think that's good, though. I mean, I think the foundation here is like, this is a little bit of the foundation of government and how we operate and how we ensure that the public knows how these agencies are going to operate and how it affects these agencies. And, you know, I know that, you know, rulemaking, it probably takes some different forms. But my experience in rulemaking has been a little bit on the challenging side of things, and it takes a lot of time to accomplish these rules. And this isn't something that happens fast, it appears. Um, just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the speed of these rules and then, you know, the general rulemaking process, like how long does it normally take? Right. Yeah, so it kind of runs the whole gamut, right? First, rules can only be undertaken by an agency if they're listed on the unified regulatory agenda. That's a publicly available document, and essentially it gets published in both the spring and the fall, and it lays out all agencies' uh, actions for rulemakings over the next 12 months, uh, and then there's a long-term action section as well for, for beyond 12 months. So if it's not listed on that agenda, um, agencies can't undertake the rulemaking uh, action. That process is overseen by the Office of Management and Budget, OMB. It takes a long time to even work that agenda. There's a lot of back and forth. You know, the core agenda gets routed through DOD and then to OMB, and there's several rounds of back of comments back and forth, and 
OMB really looks at it to make sure the actions that agencies are proposing align with the administration's objectives as well. So sometimes there's some political discussions as well at the policy level on, on these actions before they're even listed. So that's one big step is at least, right, <laughs> getting it listed on the, on the agenda. I did mention, um, so we'll go through kind of a, the process, right, once it's on the agenda, how that all happens. So generally, you know, I mentioned there's kind of different pathways that three different buckets for rulemaking, a new regulation, a modification, or a removal. I'm not really going to talk about removals. They're pretty simple and straightforward, and there's really no public comment process. Um, they're generally not significant. So um, those are kind of pretty easy, although they still take about six months to do, even though they're an easy action. Standard notice and comment rulemaking uh, follows generally the same procedures. So first you have something that triggers a rulemaking action, which I kind of talked about, right? The statutory change or a policy change or whatnot. So then, you know, we kind of sit there and we think about, okay, what does that mean? You basically start drafting up, you know, what would this rule actually look like to, to meet that statutory change or to meet, the, you know, the uh, requirements of a court decision or policy change. So you start working that drafting of both the rule language, which actually goes into the CFR, but you also have to have what's called a preamble, and the preamble really explains the rule. So that's kind of where the meat of the content is about a lot of implementation guidance is actually in that preamble. It's unfortunate when the CFR gets published that they only publish the actual rule language and not the preamble. So a lot of people, they only had the preamble would have a lot of that context that's actually really helpful to implement. A lot of times I actually refer people back to the Federal Register, right, which is where these things are published because the Federal Register does include all of the preamble content. And that can be a super helpful resource and tool that, that most people actually don't even know about. Sometimes they have a question on, well, what does that actually mean, that sentence in this regulation? And it's actually discussed in the preamble and would give them the answer they're looking for. So all of that gets drafted, the preamble and the rule. And during that process, sometimes there's, for example, early stakeholder engagement. So you may have like listening sessions or you may engage, you know, the public to, as you sort through what the content might actually end up being uh, proposed. And the core works with my office. So I kind of oversee all the rulemakings, but we also have subject matter experts in my office on the particular subject. So we make sure we kind of all work and coordinate on the drafting process making sure it's all in alignment with the direction uh, for policy as well. Uh, after that drafting stage, uh, usually there's a briefing for the ASA CW, at least for USACE rules, right? Because the ASA CW signs almost every single rulemaking action. So the ASA has to make sure that they review and approve the, the rule content. Once the ASA reviews and approves uh, a draft proposed rule, the draft gets routed to DOD. DOD has what's called a regulatory policy officer, and that's actually a position listed in EO 12866 as a requirement for all agencies to have. And DOD's regulatory policy officer will review and approve every single rule within DOD. <laughs> so you can imagine the wide variety of things that, that that person sees too. It routes through, you know, Office of General Counsel on the way up and this and that. By the time it gets to the regulatory policy officer, who is assigned by the Secretary of Defense, it takes about four months to route through the DOD process. Sometimes it takes longer. Generally, I've found it's, a, it's about a four-month process. 
so you've got some additional time built built in there before you've even really gotten the rule <laughs> into any sort of uh, public space, right, for comment. So then um, once it clears DOD, the regulatory policy officer will, will approve the rule. For a proposed rule, if a rule action is deemed significant, and significance is defined, again, in that EO12866, and there's several different, different ways it can be significant. There's sort of an economic impact, a level of economic impact, or if it's going to uh, interfere with another agency's actions. So if your rule perhaps has some influence or impact on another agency's implementing program, that can trigger significance. Or if it's a novel policy or legal issue, that can also trigger significance. If it's deemed significant, that rule then has to go to the Office of Management and Budgets, Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, or OIRA. And so OIRA will review all the significant rules. Each agency is assigned an OIRA review officer. And that's so you have one single kind of POC that reviews all of the core rules. That triggers a process. OMB has a 90-day clock for their review. Um, as well as interagency review is built in there as well. So sometimes it doesn't take the full 90 days. Sometimes it even takes a little longer than 90 days. Depends on how complex the rule is. But generally, we strive for that for that 90-day time frame. So the interagency reviewers they send it out to interagency partners that may have equity in what that rule content may be. OMB OIRA will then send us their comments which also includes the, the EOP comments from the Executive Office of the President. They'll generally coordinate within the EOP as well. And then we get comments from the, the interagency review as well. Sometimes on a rule, if it's pretty simple, you may only get a couple comments from the interagency and OIRA review. Sometimes you'll get many, many rounds of comments back and forth, pass back uh, of rounds of comments. It just really depends on complexity and the subject matter um, and how interested maybe the administration is in the rule and, and so on. You also only generally get a few days to respond, so it's a pretty quick turnaround time. Since, you know, there's that 90-day clock, they really want you to respond. It's kind of your priority action when you get that uh, back from OIRA. So once they're fully resolved, fleshed out, you know, OIRA then clears it for publication in the Federal Register. And that's really going to be the public uh, intersection, right, with the rulemaking process. So the proposed rule will get published uh, in the Federal Register. It gets sent over to the Office of the Federal Register. They're the ones, the keepers of the Federal Register. And they actually do review it and do sort of a, a review for, you know, grammar, and they do some editing and formatting and that sort of thing. So that can take a, a couple weeks sometimes, sometimes longer if they have a big backlog of agency actions. For example, at the end of an administration, there's often a big backlog <laughs> at the Office of Federal Register. Then they'll publish it uh, in the Federal Register, and generally it's a 60-day public comment period. And within that 60 days, uh, public comments get posted to a docket, which is publicly available on regulations.gov. So it's kind of like a transparency thing, and you can see how many comments have been received. You know, you can read public comments. You can see what people are saying. And uh, there's also sometimes during this process, depending on the rule, there may be another round of stakeholder engagement, public hearings, for example, um, or just listening sessions, virtual listening sessions, or even regional stakeholder roundtable discussions, depending on the, the rule. 
again, some of the simple rules don't really do those extra steps, but the more complicated, complex ones tend to tend to do that engagement process. Again, kind of similar vein as the OMB process regarding public comments, some rules may only get a handful of comments from the public, some get hundreds, and some that are really complex actually get upwards of a million public comments. Some of the those comments are form letters. You know, if there's a, a mail-in campaign from an organization, you can get a lot of form letters. But you still have to read through all of them and make sure you pull out the unique comments that are not form letters. And you can still end up with several, you know, 20,000 or so unique comments that you have to read through to determine, you know, which are really substantive that have those, those uh, comments you really need to consider and sort through. So most rules, I would say, fall somewhere in the middle. You know, the really, really simple ones, again, aren't going to get many. Most rules tend to fall somewhere in the middle. You may get a couple hundred comments on them. You know, there's always those really big ones that, <laughs> that consume a, an inordinate amount of time. So once the comment period closes, you then do that and you read through all the public comments received. Um, you kind of work to categorize comments so you can, you know, start to really think through how you may respond to them. You know, you, you hope that what you drafted in the rule and in the preamble will give you what you need, right, to draft a good solid final rule. You really want to make sure you know, your preamble may ask questions of the public. You know, well, we're, we're going in this direction, but we're open to maybe this alternative, or do you have other ideas? You know, and kind of give some thoughtful solicitation of comments on certain subjects, because that can really help you flesh out your, your final rule. It can also save you from perhaps having to go through another proposed rule, right? If the direction you're going ends up in a direction you didn't actually give proper notice to the public on, you may have to go back out and repropose something. So you want to make sure your proposed rule covers all your bases so you don't have to do that, right? You want to make sure you don't end up having to repropose on something because that will just slow the, the whole process down. So once you're done kind of sorting through the comments and you've thought through, you know, all of those and how developing your, your final rule content, you start drafting that final rule, responding to the comments. You have a public comment response uh, in there as well, and how you address them and consider them in the rulemaking process. And then it sort of starts all over again. <laughs> so then you have a draft final rule product eventually that you've coordinated, you know, uh, with the policy folks, and then the, the ASA would clear it to go to DOD for review, and then once it clears DOD, it goes to OMB for another round of VAT and interagency review, and finally clears a, a final rule for publication um, issued as a final rule. So it can take quite a quite a long time. You can you know take uh, anywhere from probably a very simple rule, you know, could take a year um, if everything if every duck lines up in a row, but. If not, major complex rules, the whole process can take upwards of three years to complete. It's a process, <laughs> and it can be a lengthy process. And there's also a lot of steps you got to comply with along the way, right? Lots of other statutory requirements like NEPA. You got to make sure you comply with NEPA. You got to make sure you're complying with other uh, acts and laws and executive orders, and you perhaps, you know, have for sure tribal consultation, you know, requirements all sorts of things along the way um, that you also need to, to think through as you're, as you're doing the process. Lots of different points and steps along the way and checkboxes. 
Yeah, I can imagine through that process, there's going to be some challenges. I know Aaron mentioned challenges briefly earlier, and I want to kind of get back to that. So from what are some of the typical challenges that you have seen? So the drafting process can be challenging in general, right? So even just thinking through how do I explain it in plain language, what we're doing. Sometimes the subject matters can be extremely technical or complicated, and how do we explain that in a plain language way it can be very challenging. And how can we explain it so we get feedback and input from the public that is helpful and useful for us in drafting a final rule. That, is, that can be one major challenge. Um, in my mind, drafting rules is actually like a foreign language. I mean, truly, it's like a whole new way of, think, of, of writing. It is a skill, I would say, for sure. And people who've done it and, and have done it over and over, it is a skill that you, you learn and get better at over time. Um, if you've never done one before, be sure you ask questions of people who have done one. Um, and can help you, uh, at least in that drafting process as well. Words definitely matter, right? <laughs> Even the, I've seen, I mean, some rules we've been challenged on in litigation over a simple word like and or a comma that's missing. I mean, things like that really matter when it comes to a rule content, amazingly enough, especially when rulemaking can be challenged in court. I mean, that throws in a whole other thing, a whole other element of making sure that everything is <laughs> is stated as you want it to be implemented and how the policy is intended. So another challenge, of course, is the can be the interagency process. It's not always. Often it goes swimmingly and smoothly, but there are those rules that you definitely have vested agency equities, right, in different missions. They, they have a different approach to things. They're, they're obviously agency mission is very different than, than the course, so they have a different viewpoint from actions that we may be proposing. You know, that can be challenging to sort through. Generally, you try to sort it out at a staff level, and you'll have briefings and that sort of thing, but it can get elevated to the policy level, and then you have some resolution that, that needs to occur with policy officials discussing the matter to come to some sort of resolution. Public comments, making sure you address uh, and really think through uh, all the public comments received. You're never going to make everybody happy, right? So it's a way of balancing all of those interests, all of the, the public interests, the policy interests, you know, making sure it's compliant with law. There's a whole host of things you really have to weigh and balance and make sure yeah, everything is covered. Um, but in the end, it's in particular with the public comments, you generally are never going to please everyone with a rule. So yeah, it's a long process as well. So I think that's one of the challenging things. It can be very disheartening for people, right? If you're if you're undergoing the rule process, and also if you're on the other end as a public member, right? It's just like, oh, what's taking them so long? A lot of the public doesn't understand the process. So we get a lot of inquiries. Well, what's going on with this? Why haven't we seen it in six months? And well, it's, it's, it's still working the process. It's just, it's taking a long time. So, you know, trying to get to respond to the public about that, but also just as the actual person, like, doing the rulemaking action, it can be very disheartening and a little stressful. So, yeah, I would say that's definitely one of the challenges is trying to work through that. And Yeah, I would say an exercise of patience is a, an understatement as it pertains to rulemaking. I know there's been just the sheer number of steps is daunting, um, especially working for the Corps. For, I've been with the Corps like 18 years and worked in planning and had to go through all the steps of a feasibility study. That is nothing compared to the steps of rulemaking and the process that it goes through and the back and forth. And so I, I think that, you know, really anybody that goes into this needs to go with eyes wide open and understand the process because 
Um, you don't want to go in thinking, hey, I'm going to be done with this rulemaking in six months because, uh, you know, two or three years later, you are probably still going to be working on this. So, you know, just making sure that they understand that. And there's a lot of good resources out there for the process and the steps. Um, I know, you know, Stacey's definitely been super helpful in, in the rules that I've worked on. But, you know, Stacey, what advice do you have for staff when, when they're thinking about starting this process or going through rulemaking, you know, any advice for them? Yeah, and I think you you hit the main one, right, is, is take a deep breath. <laughs> Although it may seem scary and daunting, you know, when I brief a, an incoming ASA on the, on the rulemaking process, I mean, I can just see, like, you know, the air just, like, deflates out of the room, and they're like, oh, wow, this is, this is a lot. So, you know, just take a deep breath. You know, it may seem scary. Take it one step at a time, right? I mean, it's a process, and it's built as a process. So one step at a time. Take those small wins <laughs> each step along the way. It will work out. It's just, uh, you know, it can, it can be longer than you may want it to be. You'll get there in the end. Um, you just need to be a little, be, be prepared to be patient is all. And then some of what I said before, you know, like think ahead when you're drafting about like, for example, what public comments do you think you might get? Like anticipate those public comments and put that in the preamble of the proposed package. So you kind of already head off some of those public comments you may get. Hey, look, we already addressed this. So, you know, maybe it stems some of those uh, comments from coming in. And it can also inform, it can provide you with better informed comments as well. And like I said, don't box yourself in too much in a proposal. Make sure you, you leave a little bit of flexibility. You gotta give them proper notice for what you're gonna, what you're intending to finalize as well. But you wanna leave the door open because that's the whole part of the public process, right? Is to help inform that final rule. So make sure there's built in enough flexibility for allowing you those, those modifications in a final package but giving them proper, fair notice ahead of time as well. I think that's the, those are the main ones. Well, thank you, Stacey. Um, we have covered a lot of information today, and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Do you have any final thoughts you would like to share? No. <laughs> I think just... <laughs> I think just reach out again, you know, I guess that's another piece of advice. You know, if your neighbor over there across the way has done a rule or here at the ASA's office, I'm definitely, I think I'm a friendly person. I hope I don't scare anyone off. So <laughs> feel free, you know, reach out if you have questions. I'm, I'm here to help in the process and how it all, how it all works. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Stacey, for, for being here today. I think, you know, for our listeners that made it through the whole episode, we should have an award, a reward for you. <laughs> Unfortunately, that probably have to come out of our own pockets, so we can't, uh, you know, give, reward you with coffee or anything fun like that. But, um, again, thank you for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together. Mm-hmm.